You have a calendar event today, 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 anniversary. Thank you, Siri. Surprise! Pete, what is all this? Open it. Oh, Pete. Oh, and flowers. How much did you spend? Uh, don't start that. You never get anything for yourself. I, I love it. I it's great. It's just... What's wrong? Pete, why are you giving me this? Seriously? Seriously. From two definitions of serious, 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 seriously. Not now, Siri. I can't believe you forgot what today is. No. After all the grief you've given me about how it's important to remember things? Well, yes, but... But nothing. You said it's important for women to have meaningful moments and to make them feel special. I did. You did. And I actually listened. I did what you told me to do. I took all our meaningful moments and I put them in our schedule and I set up reminders for myself. Yes, but... No buts. I saw this coming up and I thought, hey, you know what would be great? You know what would be ground shaking? If I went all out. So I made a reservation at your favorite restaurant and then I got a babysitter. Do you know how awkward it is for a 35-year-old man to call a 16-year-old girl? That's great. No, it's not great. What would have been great is if you had remembered what today is. Pete, I know what today is. Yeah. It's our anniversary. No, it's your mom's. Well, I'm not giving this to my mother. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to have all of you with us on all of our campuses. And as you've kind of figured out by now, uh, today we're beginning a three-week conversation about relationships, and we're specifically going to focus especially on the marriage relationship. And so, but before we get into today's talk, I just kind of have to give a shout out. Um, my oldest daughter and her husband are in this service, and uh, today is, they're celebrating their first anniversary, their one-year anniversary. So give it up for them. All of our campuses, give it up for Noel and Trevor. Yes. So um, I thought, man, how fitting. They have an anniversary. We're starting a brand new series, and it's all about relationships. A so good deal. Great job, guys. Um, so um, <clears throat> now let me just go ahead and say this. If you're sitting here today and going, okay, <clears throat> well, they're going to be talking about marriage, but I'm not really married. And so let me just say this. What we're going to discuss over these next several weeks, in, we're going to discuss basically a relationship principle in each week of this series that can work in any and every relationship. Whether you're a student in middle school or high school or in college or just a young adult and starting your career, um, whether you're middle-aged, single, whatever, or if you're married, the, these principles will work in any relationships that you're in. And here's even the better part. If you plan to or hope to be married, then hopefully like these three weeks will set you up to be very successful in your marriage. So if you're in middle school, high school, man, this is a great time to start taking notes because this is very foundational. 
Now, here, here's the thing, though. Before we get into this series, we want to set some ground rules for it. And the reason that we need to set some ground rules before we get into this series is because every time we do like a marriage series, what tends to happen is we often distract our spouse from maybe what God wants them to hear because of what we want them to hear. And so let me just tell you, here are the ground rules. You might want to write these down to remind yourself, no elbows, ladies, and no eye rolls, guys, okay? So some of the couples are already sliding apart because like, I don't know if I control my elbows or my eye rolls, right? But, but that's, let's just set those in place. I think it'll go better for all of us if we do that at the beginning of the series. Now, here's the thing. To kind of help us get started in this series, to kind of something that is common for all of us, I think there is something that we all, whether we're married or not married, I think there's something that we all would agree with when it comes to relationships. And it is this one thing that relationships in general are just difficult. Wouldn't you say that? I mean, that's whether you're married or whether you're not married, relationships in general are, are just difficult. Now, while we believe relationships are so worth it, they are just generally difficult. Well, what makes them difficult? Well, think about it this way. We all have different personalities. I mean, all of us have different personality types. I mean, some of you are like type A personalities. Some of you are very extroverted. Others of you are like your more introverted kind of personality. And so your personality determines how you see the world and, and your personality really determines your worldview. So some of you have like more of an extroverted personality type and you have that kind of worldview. Others of you have more of an introverted personality type. And so you have that kind of worldview. And then you take your personality type with how you were raised, the kind of relationships that you saw when you were growing up and, and you're either like proactive or reactive about relationships because you're going, I never want to be like the relationship I saw my parents have, or I want to be exactly like the relationship that I saw my parents have. So we have our personality types and, and then how we were raised. And then you couple all of that together and you have what we expect from relationships. And because of what we respect, expect from relationships, because of our personality type and the way that we were raised, relationships can be very hard. Now, my dad, he used to say something like this when he and I would kind of talk about the difficulty of relationships. He go, man, well, relationships would be easier if it weren't for people. <laughs> and then he would go on to say, but, you know, it'd really be boring if it weren't for people which was really his way of saying we can't get away from relationships and, and we really don't want to. I mean, I think every one of us, whether we're an introvert or whether we're an extrovert, we desire relationships to some degree or another, even when they're difficult. Now, here's the other thing. There's another thing that makes relationships a little bit difficult. See, see you, have your, you have your worldview based on your personality and, and the way that you were raised, but when you think about all the relationships that you manage, I mean, relationships that we manage, they cover a pretty broad spectrum, don't they? I mean, think about all the different types of relationship that you manage basically on a daily or weekly basis. I mean, let's just put some of these up here. I mean, like, here's some different types of relationships. Acquaintances, friends, close friends, girlfriend, boyfriend, coworkers, neighbors. 
I mean, and that's just some of the people relationships that you manage. And then there's those relationships with things. I mean, it's like things like your house. Some of you have like a love relationship with exercise. Some of you have a hate relationship with it. Some of you have a love relationship with food. A few of you might have a hate relationship with it. Some of you, you're in a relationship with shoes. Yeah, Uh, here we go. (laughs) Confession is good for the soul, right? And and then there's this whole group of people that I just completely don't understand that have a relationship with cats. Yeah, see? Here's the thing. We, We all have different types of relationships that we all manage. And there are so many. I mean, such a broad spectrum of relationships. But there's one relationship that I think all of us, most of us, would consider like the pentacle or the ultimate kind of relationship. I think most of us, most every one of us, we consider like there's one relationship that we hope for or we dream about or maybe at least consider at some point in our life, and it's this relationship here, the relationship of marriage. I mean, I think if you really would be honest with yourself, marriage is really like the perceived pinnacle, the ultimate of all relationships in most people's minds. I mean, it's often the relationship that we dream about from very early on in our lives. And for many of us, marriage is often the center of our relationship life for most all of our life. See, here's why that is. Because for most of us, marriage, you might want to write this down, marriage is supposed to be the one relationship that fills all of our relational needs. See, that's kind of how most of us think about marriage, that marriage is supposed to be the one relationship that fills all of our relational needs. That's why when so many of us are talking about marriage, we will often say, well, we're looking for the one Because if you stop and think about it, marriage really begins with the search for the one. In fact, that's really the essence of dating, isn't it? I mean, dating is all really about finding the one. In fact, before you find the one, many of us might date some other ones trying to find that one. Think about it. This is how it works. I I have three children, two daughters and a son. And so, um, I mean, think about it. Uh, Girls oftentimes grow up dreaming of finding and marrying their one. I mean, my daughters even started buying things like for their wedding or even like for when they get married and set up home, even before they were dating. They dream of finding that one. And so girls, like, as you get a little older, you kind of go on a date and, you know, and maybe that evening your, you know, friends start texting you or communicating with you through some kind of social media and um, or next day they see you and they'll ask you, hey, is he the one? Yeah, is he the one? Guys, I mean, we know you dream about different things, but still, I mean, sometimes you guys have found yourselves saying, I, I think she's the one. Or guys, sometimes you, you saw a girl walk by and you tell your buddies, hey, she's the one. And she goes, man, you're a perv or you're a stalker. You know, he's like, you know. And here's what happens. We go on this dating thing and, and we think finally we found the one, the guy and the girl, they think they found the one. And, and, and then you stand at an altar, you know, with your nice white dress on or your nice suit, you know, in front of all your friends and God, and you make a commitment to be devoted to the one. 
And you recite vows that you've written and you never should have written yourself because 20 years later, you're going to be embarrassed for your children to see those things or anybody else. And, and while you're standing there at that marriage ceremony, you're looking at your spouse or your future spouse-to-be and you're thinking, wow, you really are the one. And then to kind of reinforce this whole idea of oneness, sometimes whoever's performing the ceremony is, is they'll take a passage from scripture that oftentimes is used out of Genesis chapter two, Genesis two twenty four. It says, this is, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And it's just amazing to me because I've done a lot of weddings over the years. It's amazing how different guys and girls hear this verse during like a wedding ceremony. I mean, the girl is there standing at this ceremony and she's thinking, ah, united. I've been dreaming about this my whole life to being united to my one. And the guy hears this, this verse and he goes, wow, they become one flesh, get this ceremony over, let's get on the honeymoon, that kind of thing, you know? I mean, it's just such a completely different perspective that we bring into marriage. And so you have men and women come into marriage with different perspectives. Now, here's why marriage is such a big deal and so important for us to talk about. In marriage, we seek to know and be known. That's what oneness and becoming one flesh is all about. Because it's in marriage that we seek to be connected, to love and be loved, to accept and be fully accepted, to be one, to be united. It's why for most of us, it's like the ultimate relationships, it's the pinnacle relationship, to be one with your one. But then we get married. And you know what the problem is with getting married? you end up married. See, see, let me explain it. Getting married is exciting. Being married can be exhausting. Now, let me just help you understand why marriage can be so exhausting by showing you this clip from the great life philosopher, Jeff Foxworthy. Watch the side screens. Fact of life, women always have more questions than men have answers to. Great example of this. Six, seven months ago, I get a text one day. The text says, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. I walk into the kitchen where my wife is. I said, hey, I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. She said, was he driving? I said, I don't know. I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. Were Carol and the kids in the car with him? I don't know. I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. Were the people in the other car hurt? I don't know. I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. What hospital did they take him to? I don't know. I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. She said, well, you don't know anything. What do you know? I know you need to pray for Tom. I just got a text that said he was in a bad wreck. <laughs> yeah. That's how it works, isn't it? I mean, it's like before you get married, you're just like, you go around and go, oh, we're so much alike. We communicate so well. You have very few in your mind, minimal differences and disagreements while you're dating. 
And then in your mind, all of those are supposed to be ending whenever you get married and you're united and you're one flesh and you're thinking, that'll never happen to us. That happens to everybody else, but not to us. And then you get married, and all of a sudden, all the differences we experience in marriage, I mean, man, they're just much greater than anything we ever experienced while we were dating. And they're even more difficult to overcome. And our relationships, oftentimes, because we're so surprised by that, they go from the one, oh, you're the one for me, to we go, oh, you're just a one to, uh, you're someone. And that tends to be the path for a lot of marriages. Oh, you're the one. Oh, you're just a one. Oh, you're someone. See, there's something that we miss when we talk about marriage most of the time and when we even attend maybe a wedding ceremony. Because see, like, whenever you hear someone do, like, a wedding ceremony using the Apostle Paul's explanation of, of the verse in Genesis that we just looked at, there's always a part that kind of gets left out. I want you to notice this. The Apostle Paul says it this way. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, that's just the first part. There's a second part that always gets left out. I want you to notice it with the first part. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. See, that's why what Jeff Foxworthy said was so funny. Because if you've ever been married, you understand that marriage is a profound mystery. I mean, it's like, I don't understand how this is supposed to work. And even if you're with us today and you're going, I'm not even sure I believe everything about the Bible. Here's the thing. If you've ever been married or you are married married right now, I think you would agree with the Apostle Paul on his description of marriage, that it is a profound mystery. It's like, we fell in love, we thought we knew what we were getting ourselves into, but now we have no idea how to make this oneness thing kind of work. I mean, it's a mystery. We have no idea how to find this unity and this oneness that we one time believed was possible in our marriage. And here's how much we believe and how much we want this oneness and this unity kind of thing in relationships. See, we want it so much that some of us, even before our divorce is finalized from that person who has now just become another someone, we're out there trying to find another the one again. Now, here's the thing. We could spend the next three weeks giving all kinds of helpful hints and tricks to make your marriage better. I mean, we could suggest some seminars. And we could talk about books. And guys, I'm going to make you happy. I'm not going to suggest any books like Love and Respect or Mars and Venus or Spaghettis and Waffles. I'm not suggesting any of that right now. But 
We could focus on a lot of tweaks and fixes. I mean, we could talk about you need to do more of this, you need to do less of this. And, and here's what you know by reading books and you know, going to seminars. I mean, you can make your marriage better for a little bit, but here's what we all know if you've been married. A tweak and a fix, a book and a seminar, it doesn't fix it. Do you know why? Because the mystery would still exist. Doing more or doing less does not solve the mystery of marriage. I mean, don't don't miss this because it is so crucial not only to marriage relationships but to every relationship. A great, lasting, fulfilling relationship, it's available to all of us. Don't, Don't miss that. This is why relational difficulty is worth pushing through. Because a great, lasting, fulfilling relationship, it's available to all of us, but it is only available to us when we begin to unlock the mystery of relationships. And to understand the mystery of relationships, especially the mystery of marriage, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. And in the, when we talk about the beginning, we're talking about all the way back to in the beginning. So I want you to go with me this morning all the way back to Genesis chapter one, beginning in verse one. And here is what it says. In the beginning, God created. Now, As Christ followers, we believe that God created everything. We believe that God created the universe, we believe that God created the earth, and we believe that God created us. Now, some Christians, they're really concerned and they get really hung up on how God created, but we think, especially for our conversation this morning, we need to be more concerned with who created. Who is definitely more important than how. So God created everything, and then if you read beginning in Genesis and go down the verses, you see how God is creating everything on the earth, and God has created now, if you move on down, God has created everything except mankind, and I want you to notice what he says. Here's what he says in Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, if this whole idea of marriage being a profound mystery is new to you, make sure you notice that the writer of Genesis tells us twice that humanity was created in the image of God. Two times. Two times it's said there. And many of us, we kind of thought the thing that kind of makes us different than animals is just like our opposable thumbs, you know, that kind of thing, or some other kind of intelligence kind of thing, uh, communication kind of stuff. But, But it's way bigger than that. And that's what the writer of Genesis is telling us. He's saying, listen, the image of God, it has huge implications for our relationships and especially in our marriage. And here's why it has such big implications for us. Write this down. Our design by God determines our desires. Our design determines our desires, which means... The desires that we have for relationships, even the desire that we have for deep, meaningful relationships in marriage. If you go back to verse 26, we begin to uncover one element of the image of God that is now part of your image. 
And I think it just kind of begins to explain a little bit about your life and your desire, especially for your desire for deep, meaningful relationships, even in marriage. I want you to notice verse 26 again. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. I don't want you to miss these pronouns, us and our. See, most of the time when we think about God, we think of God as some singular kind of being. But that's not what the writer of Genesis is saying. From this statement, there's something so much going on, more going on with us about being created in the image of God. And this, the R and the us, it's not an accident. This was intentionally written into scripture. See, the us and the are, it's part of the mystery of relationships. Now, here's what the us and the are mean. It means this. God is relational because God is a relationship. Don't miss that. God is relational because God is a relationship. I mean, we could spend the next three weeks just on this because it's not necessarily easy to understand if this is the first time you hear this, but if you've been around church very long, you might have heard of this word called the Trinity, which is really a statement about God that he exists as one person in different persons, all in perfect unity and oneness, and, and we call that the Trinity. Now, while that word is not used in the Bible, when you read the Bible, you find these three unique sides of God expressed in different ways, in different places, for different reasons. Now, I'm fixing to oversimplify what, how that works, but let me just kind of help you understand it this way. See, my name is Paul. I, I'm one person. But I exist in a few different ways. See, I am Paul, the husband to Melody. I am Paul, the father of Noel, Cameron, and Karis. And I'm Paul, the senior pastor of RCC. All three of those things are true at the same time, even though I'm only like one being. Now, I understand for those of you who are theologians and stuff like that out there, I understand that is a way oversimplification of what the Trinity is like. But throughout Scripture, you see this unique, make sure you don't miss this, this unique relational, inter, re, relational interaction in the Trinity between the Godhead, God as Father, God as Son, and God as the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now, as I said, I mean, we could spend the next three weeks trying to unpack the relational part of God. But for our purposes today, here's what the us and the are mean. God is relational because God is a relationship. Which means, if you are created in the image of God, you are relational. And we believe that you are created in the image of God, which means that you are naturally relational. Your desire for deep, meaningful relationships, it is rooted in the image of God. The image of God is the image of relationships. See, your desire for relationships, it comes from the design of your image. You could say it, our design, again, determines our desires, which means because God is relational and we are created in the image of God, our relational design creates our relational desires. Now, before we apply this idea to marriage, 
Let me just say that if you're on one of our campuses today and, and you're kind of skeptical about this whole God thing, let me, let me just kind of push in for just a moment. Maybe you don't believe in God or maybe you don't believe that you are like created in the image of God. But I want to say something. Being created in the image of God, a relational God, I think it explains our deep desire for meaningful relationships. Because even if you're not sure about God, I, I still think this is something that you need to consider about yourself and, and all of humanity. Why do we have such a deep desire for meaningful relationships? Because even if you're not a Christ follower, I'm not sure how you can explain your intense desire and drive for relationships. It's like literally there's this big void that exists in our hearts and we seek out relationships with people and sometimes we even seek out relationships with things just to fill that void. So, so once again, our relational design creates our relational desires. Now, if you stop and think about it, you kind of intuitively know this, right? I mean, th this is why we actually work so hard at trying to find the one. It's why we date and we date and we date and we date again. I mean, because if you really kind of think about it, dating's like really awkward, isn't it? It's kind of awkward. And, and no matter how bad a date goes, most of us, I mean, we'll try again. Why? Why do we continue to go back and, and date and try to find that one? Because our relational design creates our relational desire to find the one. I mean, it's part of how God designed you. Your relational desires come from your relational design. Don't miss that. It's why if you've never been married, you most likely hope to be married. It's part of your design. I mean, think about this. It's why people who get a divorce, who've been married and get a divorce, they get married again. I mean, like, you right now probably have a friend or a couple that's, you know, they're in the process of getting divorced and, or just got a divorce and now one of them is out dating somebody else and, and you're thinking, really? I mean, like, you just got... You just went through this terrible, terrible divorce. How can you already be out trying to date somebody else to find the one? I mean, like, you should know better. Of all people, I mean, you should know that, like, marriage is a mystery. And you're willing to try again. Why? Because you were made to find the one. I mean, it's part of your design. Your relational design creates your relational desires. Now, here's the problem. And this is where this talk gets really practical. We are never fully satisfied by any relationship. Let me make the statement one more time. You, you might want to write that down. We are never fully satisfied by any relationship. Whether it's a relationship with your parent, whether it's a relationship with your child, whether it's a relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend, coworker, school teacher. Student, I mean, it's like we are never fully satisfied by any relationship, whether it's a relationship with someone or even a relationship with something, even the relationship of marriage. And that is one reason that relationships are so tough, and that is the reason why marriage is so tough. Because here's why we stand at that altar and we begin our marriage relationship with this expectation that this marriage relationship will be the ultimate of all our relationships and it will fulfill all our relational needs. And when that expectation is not met, 
we find ourselves becoming angry or bitter because our marriage is not doing for us what we felt like it was designed or what we desired for it to do. And then we find ourselves becoming very resentful toward our spouse. And that's why they start moving from the one to a one and maybe eventually even just to another someone. See, when our marriage isn't fulfilling our needs, most of us, we start demanding that our expectations get met. We start demanding that our spouse get more spiritual or start reading more books or go to more seminars or some, do some, this or that to fix it. Or another thing that we do is, is we start keeping score. And we start going, well, this is how much I do for you versus this is how little you do for me. And we just go into this whole fix-it kind of modality of trying to fix our marriage. Now, there's basically two ways that we do that. If you just want to take in all the many different ways and make it in two categories, I think you could do that. For some of us, this is the mode that we go into. We, we just try harder. That's our mode. I mean, we find ourselves in a crisis in our marriage or things are not the way we want them to be in our marriage. Our needs aren't getting met in our marriage. And so we just try harder. We're like, let's read another book. Let's go to another seminar. Let's get my spouse to read another book or go to another seminar. Let's just try harder, try harder, try harder. And here's what you know if that's you. It doesn't fix your marriage because it doesn't solve the problem of the mystery of marriage. For others of us, it, it's... It's not try harder, because we're like, no, let's, um, let's just give up. See, our, our modality of, of marriage is this, is we, we think we found the one, and then they're not the one, we just figure out they're another someone, and so what we do is we go, oh, I just made a bad choice. And so what we do is like, well, I just gotta get this person out of my life and get the right one, and I gotta go find another one. And, and then we go, oh, you know what? I've made two bad choices now. Let's get rid of this one and let's go find the right one. And, and you know, it's why sometimes you find a person who's in the third, fourth marriage because maybe fifth marriage because they're like, I'm just a bad decision maker, you know? And then what we know is like neither one of those fix a marriage. Neither one of those work. Try harder, give up. They don't work. So what if there's a better solution? What if there's a much better solution than trying harder? What if there's a much better solution than giving up? We believe there is. I mean, it's what this series is all about. And, and here's what we believe is the better solution. Here's the better solution. Shift your focus. Don't miss this. The better solution starts with shifting our focus from someone being our one to shifting our focus to the one who created you to need relationships in the first place. Please hear me, folks. We were never made to find complete oneness in someone. Let me say that one more time. We were never created and designed by God to find complete oneness in someone or something else. Literally, you can't get everything that you need relationally from another human being. When you expect another human being to meet all your needs relationally, you have automatically set that human being up for failure. Don't miss that. When you expect another human being 
to meet your needs relationally, you have automatically set that human being up for failure. They just can't do it. And it took me about 10 years into my marriage to understand this, that as long as I expected my wife, Melody, to fulfill all my needs relationally, I set her up for failure and set myself up for a lot of frustration. In fact, the most freeing day in my life was the day that a counselor by the name of Sue Gilbert, this is what she told me. She said, Paul, you need to drop all of your expectations of Melody meeting your needs. That's what she said. She says, you need to drop all of your expectations of Melody meeting your relational needs. And she says, here's what you need to do. You need to look to God first to meet your needs. And then she kind of went on and she says, and if, and if he chooses to use Melody to meet some of those needs, which he probably will, great. But if he doesn't, she reminded me, God will supply all your needs according to his will and according to his plan. And then she said something so profound that really helped me get this. And, and don't miss this. She said this. She said, Paul, if Melody could meet all your relational needs you would have no need for God. And you know what? That's exactly what some of you have built your life on. You are looking to your spouse. You are looking to a person to do for you only what God can do for you. See, see you, you've looked to a relationship with someone or you've looked at a relationship with something to meet your needs so that you don't have to acknowledge God. Now, you would have never said that you were trying to bypass God, but that's kind of how you do relationships. You look to your relationships first to meet your needs. And I'll never forget that day I began to realize, man, there is no thing and there is no person that can fulfill or meet all my needs. And that day I understood, and you might want to write this down. Your relationship with the one who created you is the foundation for your relationship with everyone. Don't miss this. Your relationship with the one who created you is the foundation for your relationship with everyone. See, if we ever want to experience oneness and unity in any relationship, especially marriage, we must first experience oneness and unity with God. You have to start seeing God as the source and the supply of all your needs, including your relational needs. See, you are designed relationally by a relational God primarily for a relationship with him. So our relationship with the one who created us, what it does is it impacts our relationship with everyone else. Because the one who created you, your relationship with him, it is the foundation with your relationship with everybody else. There is no someone out there who can fulfill your need to have a relationship with the one who created you. Which means... Well, when we say that we're looking for the one and that one is a someone out there, we are setting them up 
for failure. You need to understand this. We're setting them up for failure and we're setting ourselves up for a lot of frustration. Because you know what happens? When you're looking to someone, that one, that being a someone to meet your needs relationally, what you will do is you'll try to squeeze out of that person whether that's a parent, whether that's a child, whether that's some other person in your life, a friend, a coworker, but especially in marriage, you'll try to squeeze out of them something that they don't even have in themselves to give you. I think that's why the psalmist David said, back in Psalms 37, verse four, he said it this way. He says, listen, delight yourself in the Lord. Literally, literally put God first. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will supply, or he'll give you the desires of your heart. Listen, the desires of your heart are determined by the design from creator God. He knows that you have a desire for relationship. But I'm telling you today, folks, that desire, that, those relational needs in your life, they can only be met when you look first to God to meet those needs. When you delight yourself first in the Lord. See, you can't expect a human someone to give you a complete sense of identity. You can't expect a human someone to give you this complete sense of acceptance or even the, like this feeling of being perfectly loved and accepted. All of those longings that we have for identity, for acceptance, for love, it's really a longing for a relationship with the one who created you, who made you. And so whenever you're out there searching for the one, really what you're doing is, is you're searching for the one who created you to desire acceptance and love and belonging. God put that desire in your heart. It's part of your design. But it's only available, hear me this morning, it's only available in one place. The only place that you really will begin to experience love and acceptance and belonging at the level that we desire it is with the one who created you. See, for too many of us, even those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we've tried to bypass God to get our relational needs met. David says, no, you, you need to delight yourself in the Lord. You need to look to him first, and then he will supply the desires of your heart. Now, there are some of you, you you've never felt like united or one with God. And I'm just gonna tell you, as we begin this relationship series, that's the place where you need to start if you ever wanna experience life-giving, fulfilling relationships because it's only when you have a relationship with the one that made you and you start feeling a sense of belonging and acceptance and love from him that you can truly experience fulfilling relationships with those that are around you. See, it's only when you're not expecting those that are around you to provide only what God can provide for you that you can have fulfilling and meaningful relationships with the people around you. So if you're not first in a relationship with God, if you're not first delighting yourself in the Lord, what's gonna happen is you're gonna expect other people to do for you what God can only do for you relationally. Now here's the cool thing, and David kind of alludes to this. The truth is that God has created us and designed us 
to experience joy and delight in relationships, including in your marriage. God has designed you to experience joy and delight in your relationships, including in your marriage. That is why it is so worth the struggle. It is why it is so worth the difficulty that you might be experiencing in your marriage. But the reality is this joy and this delight, it only begins to happen in our relationships with other people, and especially in our marriage, when we shift our focus from someone fulfilling our relational needs to the one who created us to meet our relational needs. That's the shift of focus we have to have if we ever want to experience delight and joy in relationships. Now, next week, we're going to continue the series by building on how what's in me and what's in you determines everything about the quality of our relationship. And it's, it's all built in our relationship with the one who created us. But today, as we close, here's what we want to challenge you to do. We don't want you to, we don't want to challenge you to evaluate your relationship with your someone. That someone that you're dating, that someone that you're married to. Instead, we want you to evaluate your, your relationship with the one who created you. Do you have such a good relationship with the one who created you that you feel completely loved, unconditionally accepted? like you absolutely belong? Do you have an incredible sense of identity? We want you to evaluate your relationship with him because until you start having a relationship with the one who created you, you're gonna expect other people, that someone, to create, make all that happen for you and I promise you, it's gonna set them up for failure and you for incredible frustration. So for some of you, I mean, this is the day that you begin to realize, man, I've been killing my marriage because I've been expecting my spouse to do for me to create this sense of identity, this sense of belonging, this sense of acceptance and love that only God can do for me. So for many of you today, this is your day to release your spouse to be for you what God created them to be able to do for you. So some of you, you need to release your spouse from a past marriage. I mean, you're still angry at them because they didn't make you feel completely loved and accepted and like you belonged. And you're so angry at them and you're so bitter and you still resent. So you need to release a previous spouse so that you can experience freedom and move forward. For some of you, you're not even in a relationship yet, and, and your first step, I'm telling you, your first step to great relationships is, is, is to say to God, God, I, I choose to begin my relationship with you today. David says, delight yourself in the Lord, and, and then he will supply even the relational desires of your heart. So for all of us today, it's, we gotta quit trying harder and we gotta quit just giving up. We gotta shift our focus to the one who created us and says, I will supply all of your needs. So will you bow your heads with me in prayer? God, for some of us right now, this is where um, we need to quit, try to quit trying to bypass you to get our relational needs met and start focusing, shifting our focus back to you. 
For others of us, God, this is the day when we need to release our spouse. Some of us even need to go to our spouse and, and say, I'm sorry, I've, I've been trying to get you to read books and go to seminars and tweak this and fix that because I've been trying to get from you what only God can give me and I'm sorry. I, I've been creating more barriers than oneness. God, for others of us, we have totally tried to bypass you and find everything we need relationally in a someone. And God, so for some of us today, it's, it's, it's our time to say, Jesus, I'm gonna delight myself in you. I'm gonna make you the first desire of my heart and the number one relationship in my life. And if that is you on any of our campuses, will you just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud? We just say, Jesus, today, I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord and my Savior, my sin forgiver, and I'm gonna depend on you from this day forward to meet all of my needs, including my relational needs. And I'm just gonna to begin to follow you and learn what it means to be in a relationship with you and, and learn what it means to be truly loved, completely accepted, totally forgiven, completely embraced by God as my heavenly father, Understand that my identity is now a child of God and I'm just thankful for that opportunity to live life that way. And if you just prayed that prayer, will, will you let us know? Maybe someone will be at the front at your campus after the service, you can let them know or you can just on your connect card that you'll find in your worship guide next week, you can let us know on that or you can tell one of us after the service, we'd love to help you continue to take next steps. God, but for all of us, may this be the day when we choose to find our delight in you, our desires supplied by you, and then God, let that overflow into the relationships that we have in our life, especially our marriages, so that we can experience what you designed us to experience, joy and delight not demands and bitterness. God, we want that and we choose that. So we choose to shift our focus to the one who created us as the supplier of all our needs. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen.